Good morning, my fellow Americans. Welcome back to Percolating Perspective after a little hiatus in December. You are listening to Season 2, Episode Number 1 of Percolating Perspective, and we have some amazing things to go over today. Brand new format. You're going to love it. You don't want to miss it. We have so much to cover today. Uh, Again, introducing some new changes, discussing some new topics. Let's get into this thing. drip of the day we are going back to hemisphere coffee roasters over uh christmas break after christmas in between christmas and new year i had the opportunity to go up to mechanicsburg ohio and to see mr paul kurtz and his wife grace very sweet people Uh, they are the owners and proprietors of hemisphere coffee roasters and they do one heck of a job they have a beautiful shop they have a beautiful uh, merchandise setup, but they also serve amazing coffee. They make it uh, right there in house. They roast the beans there. Uh, they brew it. The one I am sipping on today is called Coffee Cake, and it is uh, a light cinnamon, a, a sweet butter taste. It's very similar. Have you ever had a like a I think it's a Hostess or a Little Debbie uh, coffee cake? It, it tastes very similar to that. Uh, maybe a sour cream donut, something like that. Very good. Very good coffee. Um, it, I, and it's not seasonal either. I mean, the name, the name doesn't ring seasonal. I bought it in, in you know, the middle of the Christmas time, New Year's Eve kind of time. So to me, I guess it's seasonal, but it's really not a seasonal coffee. So do yourself a favor, go on their website, hemispherecoffeeroasters.com. Hopefully we will, uh, be able to rope them into being a sponsor here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, We did chat about that a little bit, so listen out for that coming up soon. All right, so the new changes. Uh, We are working on getting video added to the podcast, which you'll be able to look at and watch. I mean, this beautiful mug you are going to want to see on YouTube. Uh, You're going to be able to see it on Podbean, Spotify, you know, the works. I mean, you won't be able to say it on, see it on iHeartRadio or anything like that where they don't have video capabilities, but where you have video capabilities, you will be able to see it. And boy, are you lucky. Man, what a face. Chiseled features. You know, I'm, just, I'm really kidding. I mean, you hear the old joke of, hey, buddy, you've got a face for radio. Unfortunately, I think that's me. But my wife doesn't think so. My mom doesn't think so, so... Anyway, uh, that's the that's new change number one that we're still working on that. So that'll be rolled out here in the next, um, I'd say the next two weeks, uh, maybe three. Um, format changes. We're going to start involving a little bit more opinion on current topics, current issues of the day, have discussion about those things. So uh, last season, I tried to steer away from current events as much as possible and, and try to steer away from, um, you know, being too um, divisive and I I think I realize that that's a um, that's an issue uh, we want to refine our target audience and while you won't necessarily hear that and it you know be plainly stated our far- focus and our goal as a podcast will be toward a specific audience in my opinion that audience will restore America not our audience specifically but the people who uh, make up our audience, I believe are part of the group that will 
take America and and fix her and and make her what she should be. In an attempt to reach the most broad audience possible, I do feel like I have somewhat snubbed the very people I want to reach out to and I believe uh, will restore our culture. That is Christian conservatives. Your principles uh, and values for daily life, uh, daily living, separate you from the evil that seeks to destroy our country. Uh, And I believe we'll stop this madness and save the day. You know, truth, justice, the American way, the things that helped Superman save the day. Every time you turned on the TV or opened up the comic book, those will save the day again. And I truly believe that you are the group of people that will do that. And you're the group of people that I want to be a part of and want to be associated with. Your drive and your passion for country, uh, your your drive to learn and your drive and interest in um, all things true and your trust in God, it will win. We will win. I think my home state of Florida is a prime example of why we will win. And my home state gives me hope. I have never been my entire life. I've, I've been very indifferent towards Florida because it's always been a purple state. It's always been middle of the road. It's honestly voted Democrat more often than it has Republican. It's been a Democrat state since the Civil War, really since it became a state. This past election with Ron DeSantis, we went from a purple state, which was true even when Ron DeSantis won the first time by four-tenths of a percent. The people of Florida responded to a politician who means what he says and does what he means and does it well. He does not threaten. He doesn't argue. He says, do you hear that? That's the sound of bombers coming to fix this problem. Florida is a beacon of hope to me because the people here recognize truth and they recognize somebody who is trying to do the right thing. And I think that's not just Floridians. I think that's all Americans. All of America is moving to Florida. I think America is a great cross-section to look at uh, of, of what America thinks, what America feels. And although our elections aren't going the way that I believe they should. I think that is not a, mem- a a mandate for the Democrats to do what they want and for the progressive left to do what they want. I think it's more of a sick and tiredness of middle-of-the-road, mushy, spineless politicians. And I think Ron DeSantis is a bellwether of that. And not even a bellwether. The man won by 19 points. He... he broke the record. Florida has never had a governor win by that margin ever. And specifically a a Republican. If you look on the back of a $1 bill, uh, there's a seal. In fact, I've got one right here. You'll see an Eagle, uh, on the, on the right side of the back, uh, the Eagle is facing the West. He's got an olive branch in one claw, 13 arrows in the right. And of course, that's, you know, Peace in one hand, and then the the might of the 13 colonies in the other. But in his mouth, there is a ribbon or a a banner with the inscription E Pluribus Unum. Uh, That is Latin, and unless you took Latin in high school or just know this off the top of your head, you probably don't know what E Pluribus Unum means, or even you might not have even noticed that that's even been there before. It's on several other pieces of currency that we have too, including, I think, the penny. What does E Pluribus Unum mean? 
It means out of many, one. Well, why does that matter? Well, today you are being told by politicians, media, neighbors, religious organizations, churches, uh, many pastors across the country, that one man will never make a difference. That one man can't change anything. That you should not, uh, you know, you should not think that one man will change things. Is that true? I mean, I, I, I certainly have believed it for a long time and probably said that many times before. In fact, I know I have. But does e pluribus unum or out of many one, one of our nation's mottos, mean that we only make a difference as a collective? If you look back in the book of Genesis, God gave man one job. Uh, that job, he created man in the garden. He tells man, Adam in this case, that his job is to tend the garden. He is to tend to and maintain God's creation. Did God believe that one man could make a difference? Well, in the very beginning, he only made one man and a help that was meat for him. I'd say yes, he thought a man could make a difference. He put one man in the garden with his wife, and that man made a difference. In fact, all of humanity came about by that one man. Then several years later, God came to a man named Abraham, also in the book of Genesis. And much like Adam, he was just like you and me. Uh, you and me. He was disobedient to God at times. He lied at times. He lacked faith a lot of times. In fact, <laughs> at one point, whenever... He was old, and Sarah, his wife, was old. Uh, God told him that she was going to have a baby, and he literally laughed in God's face and fell on the ground and laughed right in God's face. And God did it anyway. But Abraham also had enormous faith in God and even went to the point of being willing to sacrifice his only son because God told him to, with no explanation or reason. Did that one man make a difference? You might say so. He changed the world. In fact, God made a nation out of him whom the entire world is now blessed. Out of his lineage came Jesus Christ. Did George Washington make a difference? Without him, surely we would have lost the Revolutionary War, and he is still making a difference, not only in politics and in government with his uh, precedents, but he's making a difference in my own life and how I conduct myself, how I train my thoughts. I'll admit to you and be transparent with you and be forthright with you as we are friends. It is difficult to read your Bible every day and it's difficult to pray every day and it's difficult to, to wrap your head around the fact that you were talking to the same God that talked to, to Moses and talked to David and talked to you know, the 12 apostles, it's hard to wrap your head around that when you spend time in prayer and to get the reverence, you know, get the perspective of reverence that you should have. It's difficult. But if you read George Washington, I, I read George Washington's, he's got a prayer journal that he kept, and you can Google that, and you can find a, a good bit of prayers that he wrote. And I think that's important to write your prayers. It's not, you know, prayer is not just a verbal thing. You can pray in your head. I think it's important to to write your prayers out too, and this is another topic for another day, but uh, it'll help future generations understand that there were Christians that came before them, 
But again, that's another topic for another day. George Washington is making made a difference in his own time, but he's making a difference right now in in my life, and I'm sure many many others. Did uh, Thomas Jefferson make a difference? Did James Madison make a difference? Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr., Ronald Reagan, Rush Limbaugh. I've got I've got a a, a new book. I actually got it for Christmas, and I've read uh, some of it. I haven't got through all of it yet. It's a pretty lengthy book, but it was compiled by his wife, uh, who was, by the way, a uh, direct descendant of John Adams. Uh, I believe her name is Catherine. Did Rush Limbaugh make a difference? Rush Limbaugh defined a generation. He is the reason the conservative movement still exists. Ron DeSantis, one man making a difference. If we want to have that argument about one man making a difference, that man has has taken Florida and 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 shaped it into, you know, if you drive through any part of Florida, undoubtedly you'll see multiple signs that say proud to be a part of the free state of Florida. And that's exactly what we are, and I am proud of it. For the first time in my life, I'm proud of Florida, and it's because of the the change that Ron DeSantis has made in our state government. The answer to this question is, did all these men make a difference? Did all these single one-men individuals by themselves make a difference? The answer is a resounding yes. So. What is my point here? At, I mean, out of many, one. E pluribus unum. Out of many, what? What is that? What does out of many mean? Out of many, many is individuals. I remember, uh, I guess it was around 2010. I would have been 16 years old in 2010. I think that's right. 16. Yeah, I've been 16 in 2010. My grandparents invited me to go to a tea party meeting in my hometown in Florida, in the Florida Panhandle. Uh, we, the tea party actually met, and it, it was an old hospital that had been retired uh, and had been converted into the supervisor of elections office at one point, and then it became a, uh, a community center and a senior center, and I'm actually not even sure what the place is now. I live five minutes down the road from it, and I'm not even sure what it is. Uh, but those meetings were full of all kinds of people, young kids such as myself that were just there out of curiosity to see what was going on. We had, you know, middle-aged adults, grandparents, fed up retirees. There was blacks, whites, Asians, Methodists, Mormons, Baptists, Episcopalians, the list goes on and on and on. There was a, a slaw, just a slew of people that just from all different walks of life from our little town that would go to those meetings in 2010. And out of that movement came Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Marco Rubio, Jim Jordan, many, many other conservatives that have had a desire to serve the people directly and uphold the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence. You know, the Tea Party movement was started, a lot of people don't know this or maybe remember this, I was kind of unusual as a kid. Whenever I would come home from school in 2008, so I would have been in eighth grade. I did not want to watch cartoons. I came home and flipped on Fox News back when Roger Ailes was running it. It was actually a, you know, uh, the entire platform was, you know, in lockstep. 
And there was one man on there that I wanted to watch, and that was Glenn Beck. And he was crazy. He was wild, but he was smart. And he he had a chalkboard uh, that he would, you know, make his stories make sense to an eighth grader. You know, at eighth grade, and in eighth grade, I knew who George Soros was. I knew, you know, what Agenda 21 was. I knew what all those things were because of Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck started the Tea Party movement. A lot of people don't remember this. He started the Tea Party movement in 2010 on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial as a response to Obama's insane uh, fiscal policy, out-of-control spending, and really, really and truthfully, just outright disregard for the American working class. Uh, Obama held, you know, at least it seemed this way, and I think this is true, he held a lot of animosity for the, um, for the normal American. In fact, he said so much as that uh, said that in so many words in his autobiography. But did Glenn Beck make a difference? A single man? Well, yeah. But was he the only one in the Tea Party that made it? Was he the only individual in the Tea Party that made a difference? No, he wasn't. In fact, he would tell you he is not the one that made the difference, and I would agree with him. He is not. He led the charge, but he, as the individual, did not make that change. He did not make the change that we saw. The Tea Party movement was a groundswell of individuals making a choice. If you could boil down and and just put a reader di- Reader's Digest synopsis of what the Tea Party was, it was a group of individuals making a choice. Each individual person of those Tea Party movements were there of their own accord. They were fed up. They were angry. They wanted change, and they demanded it. And I'll let you in on a secret. They got it. Now, granted, it was a, it was a step in the right direction. It didn't change America forever, and it didn't solve all of our ills. But as I just said a minute ago, we got a lot of good people out of that, out of that movement. Those people of the Tea Party movement, they got it. They got the change they demanded. They got the, the people they demanded. And they, the change they made, we are still reaping the benefits from today. America can only be saved by the individual. America is founded on individuality. In fact, our first episode of this podcast, Season 1, Episode 1, was called Rugged Individualism. I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Um, that that is really what America is all about. That's the cornerstone or one of the cornerstones, one of the four corners of America is individuality, rugged individualism. America can and will be saved by you. You as an individual have to make the choice to do what is right every single day. You as an individual have to decide that God wasn't lying when he said if you don't work, you don't eat. You as an individual have to decide that America is worth saving. America is worth your blood, sweat, and tears. America is worth you deciding to save her. Don't let for let anyone tell you that one man cannot make a difference. You have a uniqueness that our civilization cannot survive without. And what a shame it would be if we had greatness within us and sat back and watched the greatest country that has ever been fall into the hands of the devil. 
I don't uh, I don't talk about this a lot, at least on the podcast. In fact, I don't know that I've mentioned it on the podcast before. But uh, in 2022, this past year, I ran for my local school board. And I don't say that braggingly, <laughs> proof being I lost. Uh, but for months and months prior to me putting my name on the ballot, that verse in Genesis we just talked about a minute ago really began to bother me and get to me. At the end of my typical workday, I would come home, I would listen to the news of the day, and just be absolutely frustrated and annoyed and, truth be told, intimidated by what seemed to be incurable corruptness in Washington, D.C., and not just Washington, D.C., but, I mean, state, local, you know, the the school boards across the country were, seemed to be, uh, you know, pushing transgenderism and, and homosexuality down the throats of our kids at, in kindergarten. I felt angry, but a dis- I also felt a distinct sense of helplessness because who, I am, who am I to do anything about it? So I did nothing. But maybe, you know, I would post stuff on Facebook about how stupid they are and, you know, how ridiculous this all is. But that verse in Genesis bothered me because God gave Adam a responsibility to tend to, protect, and to work hard to benefit from his creation. Not sit under a tree in the shade of the Garden of Eden, watch the plant life grow uncontrolled, and the animals eat the plants unchecked, and then complain about it when it got out of control. I realize that the work that God gave Adam is still expected of us today. We see Hollywood, uh, Washington, local politics, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. But Christians, conservatives, good men and women, I I can't tell you how many times we've said, you know, and and I've heard it said, you know, in in Christian circles and and Republican and conservative circles, you know, we just can't find good men to run. And it's not that you can't find them. There's good men all over the place. They choose not to. And I understand. It's scary. And who would want to have your name dragged through the mud? Everything that you have ever done in your life, so it seems, will be brought to the surface and you'll be humiliated and embarrassed. I, I realized after reading that verse in Genesis that our garden had become overgrown. I realized that our government's plural are out of control and growing unchecked. I realized that God expected me to stand up and make my voice heard and to do everything I could to to make a difference. He expected Moses to do that. He expected Gideon to do that. He expected David to do that when he was met with Goliath. I fully believe he expected George Washington to do that. George Washington, all he wanted to do was go home back to Mount Vernon after the war was over and retire, farm, and and die peacefully, but as he put it, his country needed him. And I believe God expected him to stand up for what was right, and he became the first president of the United States and led our country in its, from its infancy into what it later became, which was the, I think, the closest thing to to true Christian liberty that we'll see this side of heaven. I believe that God expected Abraham, Lincoln, to stand up and make a difference. And Abraham from the Bible. And they did. 
They took what God expected them to do, and they did it. God expects you to also. I lost my election, and that that was obviously God's will, and I accept that. I started this podcast one week to the day after my defeat because my calling, the same calling God gives all of us all the way back to Adam to stand up and to make a difference, was not rescinded just because I lost my election. I, as we all do, have a job to do. We have a job to tend the garden. If good men do nothing, we are destined to be destroyed, and we absolutely deserve it. One of the greatest lies the devil has ever told us, and he continues to tell us, is that we are absolutely incapable of making a difference in this world by ourselves. Please never feel like just because you're alone, you can't make a difference. When the world tells you that there are 998,753 genders or whatever they say now, politely say, no, there are two. And I will not budge from that. When the world tells you that human life is no more valuable than your dogs, politely say, no. God loves you and every life is precious to him. Life is his and his alone to give or take away. It's not even ours to take away. We didn't give ourselves our life. God gave us our life, and it's only God can take that away. America will survive. We have always been the exception, and that is because we have always been a nation of individuals. You might say out of many, one. All right, one last story, and I will leave you with it until next week. In uh, 1948, a black boy, uh, a descendant of slaves named Clarence, was born just outside of Savannah, Georgia, in a little town called Pinpoint. And Pinpoint, uh, it's still a small town. It was founded by free slaves at the end of the Civil War. And Clarence's father was a farmhand. His mother was a housewife. And neither of his parents spoke English. They spoke a Creole language native actually to South Carolina and Georgia called Gullah. And Clarence's father left he and his mother when Clarence was only two years old and left him and his mother behind, his mother Leola. Clarence, uh, his mother Leola struggled and worked her hands to the absolute bone to provide for him. And eventually, unfortunately, their home burned to the ground, forcing Clarence and his brother Meyer to live with their grandparents in nearby Savannah. And for the first time, Clarence was introduced to indoor plumbing and three square meals a day. Eventually, Clarence would attend St. John Viana's Minor Seminary, and Clarence left the seminary following the assassination attempt of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968. He overheard a fellow student proclaim, Good, I hope the son of a, you know, died. Naturally, being a black boy from southern Georgia, He felt like he should probably move on. Looking for a place for more opportunity, he moved uh, to Worcester, Massachusetts, attending College of the Holy Cross, where he founded the Black Student Union, which was an organization that founded, uh, I'm sorry, that fought against unequal treatment of blacks before the law within the university. Clarence then began attending anti-war marches and watched firsthand the 1970 Harvard Square riots. Through all of this, Clarence felt uneducated still and self-conscious as he spoke Gullah as a child, and his English lacked clarity and polish. 
uh, Clarence decided to then major in English literature to finally, as he put it, conquer the English language, again, despite being born and raised in the United States by American citizens who were born and raised in the U.S. themselves. After graduating from College of the Holy Cross, Clarence moved to Yale School of Law, where he had graduated in 1978, in the middle of his class. Clarence struggled after that to get a job out of college. Uh, Several of the law firms felt that he was more than likely given his degree as some sort of affirmative action and therefore really did not give him any credit for the work that he had done through Yale. Clarence uh, eventually went so far as to peel a 15-cent sticker off of a box of cheap cigars and stuck it on the frame of his law degree to remind himself of the mistake he made of going to Yale. In 1979, Clarence then moved to Washington, D.C. and worked for former Missouri Attorney General and his previous boss, John Danforth. He was well-respected in Washington, D.C., even being nominated by President Ronald Reagan to be the Assistant Secretary for the Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Education in 1981. After spending several years later as a federal judge, the United States of America was blessed by God, was one of the finest Supreme Court justices in our history. A once poverty-stricken, illiterate, starving black boy from, uh, from Georgia, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas, who had no reason to believe he could make a difference, would write a concurring opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade in 2022. Clarence made a difference. Despite his background, despite his upbringing, despite his self-consciousness, despite his ability to speak the English language in the very country that he grew up in and his parents grew up in and his great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents grew up in, Clarence made a difference. You can too. America, I love you. Until next week, God bless. All content written and owned by Perfect and Respective Media, copyright 2023. Music by Technomax. Audio mastering and production by Porter Sound Studios.